and welcome back to the Bunker Daily with me, Aisha Hazarika. And a special reminder, we're doing another live stream on Zoom with our big sister podcast, Romaniacs, on Thursday, the 11th of June. And that's exclusive to our Patreon backers. So sign up now and we'll see you there. You can get to snoop uh, into our houses and see what we're drinking. So it's all good fun. You search Patreon Bunker Podcast to find out more. Now, on today's edition. We're about to experience the biggest upheaval in the economy and our working lives in possibly 100 years. Could this be a rebirth moment for the trade union movement and specifically for the role of women in trade unions? We're going to see a sudden shift from high employment to potentially mass unemployment figures of even around 4 million are being talked about. Whole industries could go into cold storage or even disappear and employment rights that have already been whittled down could be even thinner than we thought. And of course, there's also a looming no-deal Brexit on the horizon. Now, traditionally, recessions tend to hit women hardest. They're the heaviest users of public services um, that get cut, and they're often part-time workers as well, um, a sector which has suffered its own cutbacks in rights over the past decade. What role should unions play in repairing Britain? And what can unions do for women? Well, with me today is Frances O'Grady, General Secretary of the TUC, and according to Women's Hour in 2013, the 11th most powerful woman in Britain. I think you've gone up <laughs> since 2013. I mean, that was a long time ago. I think you're very important. You're even more powerful than that now. And, and she's also a non-executive director of the Bank of England. Uh, unions in the corridors of power, who would have thought it? Frances, how are you? I'm really well, Aisha. How are you? I'm good. Uh, still kind of a bit confused about what's happening with lockdown and, and actually what does lockdown mean uh, for different people? I think everybody is quite confused um, about that. But we've, but like many people, um, I think what I'm certainly realising is that we've got this huge public health crisis we're living through now. But we are about to have a huge economic crisis um, as well. We're bracing ourselves for this historic um, recession. And I just want to begin by, by asking you, do you think this provides, and I don't want to say this in a cynical way, but, but an, an opportunity for um, people to realise how important the trade union movement is? I know that you've seen good figures in terms of people joining unions, but do you think mm -hmm. this will be a sort of a moment for the trade unions I, I think it is. And I think it's something deeper than even trade unions. I think, you know, all of us have been having to think hard about what really matters in our lives. Um, and understanding that, you know, there's that instinct to look after your family. Um, but that's not enough. We've got to look after our neighbours, our workmates, our communities too. And I think that's come across so strongly in the, those Thursday nights claps for key workers and I think more and more people are realising that those key workers do the most important work, very often paid the least, very often on zero hours and insecure contracts. I mean seven in ten care workers on less than £10 an hour. What has gone wrong? And I think we also understand that if we don't stick up for each other then who's going to do that? So we have got to come together. Unions are one really important way of doing it. But, you know, I have to say, 
for me personally, it's always been about friendship between working people. It's about looking after each other, sticking up for each other when nobody else will and trying to win a fair deal. It's as simple as that. And it feels, you know, the, that aspiration of the trade union movement, trying to sort of explain that to people, it has felt that sometimes that's felt quite hard to do. But but this experience is something where we have suddenly all thought about ourselves as 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 workers even those of us who are self-employed because it's such a it's such a worrying time and it is a moment where we thought well you know who who's going to stick up for us and who is going to be that kind of friend at at work and and do you think that that is the reason why more people have been joining trade unions um you know over the last couple of weeks yeah i mean we have seen this you know very significant i don't want to overplay it but 200,000 extra new members over two years. Um, if we keep that up, then we can start, you know, rebuilding. So it is significant. And what's really interesting, I think, is that, of course, it's mainly women and quite a lot of young workers too. Uh, but we've seen kind of big increases in the public sector uh, and the private sector, but the public sector where women are more likely to work. And I think... I think there is a sense almost of women kind of realising their own value. You know, actually having that public support has been really important because that's been missing, you know, yeah. uh, not just the NHS, but the, the so-called invisible care sector. All these women doing this incredibly valuable work looking after our mums and dads and not being rewarded fairly so I think something is shifting almost in our kind of collective awareness that we've got to come together and we've got to do things differently in the future you know we don't want it all to end with uh, the clap on Thursday nights ending it's got to be it's got to if we're going to do a thank you then let's put some you know pounds onto that thank you absolutely and I think minimum wage and I think the 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 reality of of what carers face has has really had a light shone in it because I know that many of the trade unions that you represent I know myself in my own time and I was a labour advisor when I worked for Harriet Harman you know we would meet with care workers regularly I remember we did a big meeting up in the West Midlands with with the GMB and care workers have been invisible for such a long time I mean they're regarded insultingly as low skilled when actually they provide the highest value in terms of you know caring for, for people who we love the most in society so what is it that you the unions can do to help particularly these women in these sort of low paid sectors that are very fragile um, right now and are picking up a lot of the slack what are some of the practical things that the trade union movement either is doing for these women or, or can do for these women well the most important is organizing because we've got to reach out and build people into membership because we know that the more members we have the stronger we become the louder our voice Uh, becomes too but you know there are real issues going on day in day out about um, unsocial hours payments Uh, mainly women carers still fighting to get um, paid for travel uh, between appointments Uh, many still on zero hours contracts and no guaranteed hours which means how are you supposed to organize your own life if you don't know how many hours you're going to be working from week to week and I think It sounds like an old-fashioned word, but I think there's something about dignity 
at work as well. Um, if you take, um, for example, areas like hospitality, obviously, you know, facing a pretty bleak future currently. But, you know, we were getting scores and scores of women talking about sexual harassment at work. Uh, the boss robbing their tips you know but so we're always kind of week in week out we're speaking up for workers representing workers but we're also trying to win changes in the law because that's the way to make sure that the decent boss doesn't get undercut by the bad one and that everybody has to play by the same set of rules so you know there's there's lots that we can do but I think a lot of it for me is also about listening to women and finding out what matters most to working women and of course men but you know sometimes we can think something is really important and it's not necessarily the priority for that group of workers. So, you know, at the moment, what I'm hearing from women in particular is safety at work is right up there in a way that it hasn't been for a long, long time. Or women working from home, you know, which we know can be great and it can also be boring and isolating and, you know, brain numbing. So there are, there are lots of kinds of um, issues out there, but I think the important thing is is that uh, you know we're the ones who should be listening and representing what people are telling us. And in terms of representation, I think it's really um, heartening that so many more women are coming to the trade union. You do have uh, trade unions like Unison, which have always had a, a history of having a strong female um membership because it is rooted in the in in health workers um, and care workers as well but there is a perception that the the public face of trade unions are very masculine they're very macho and um, they're seen as you know the bob crows of this world the len mccluskeys i mean you're quite a breath of fresh air being a female union leader what does the union movement have to do to sort of become a bit more f like feminine from an outward looking perspective? Because sometimes it looks like it isn't a place for women from the outside. Yeah, I mean, there's an irony in that, isn't there, given that the majority of our women now are our members are women. Um, and also, you know, I admit to finding it a little bit frustrating that all these amazing... So women diplomatic, Francis. <laughs> All these amazing women that we do have at the top, Joe Grady, no relation, Joe Grady, who leads uh, the university uh, and college lecturers, and Mary Bowstead, um, who has been in the press a lot recently, but uh, not necessarily the sympathetic hearts of the press. Uh, you've got women like Michelle Stanistry um, from the NUJ representing the journalists, who's battled away for equal pay. Um, alongside Beck too. you know, I mean, amazing work, and yet it doesn't get the same attention. So, I mean, I've never made any secret of the fact I would like to see a movement that was 50-50 from bottom all the way to the top. Uh, that's, that's my kind of ideal. But I think we should also recognise, you know, people like Len, um, you know, doesn't always get credit for... Uh, the work that Unite has done in exposing Sports Direct and the pretty gross exploitation there, you know, pregnant women uh, treated really badly uh, at risk of giving birth in the toilets, you know, I mean, mm. stuff like that. 
wouldn't have happened um, if it hadn't been for the trade union movement. So, you know, clearly, in many ways, our unions just represent the world of work. We've got still got that occupational segregation where far more likely to see women uh, in nursing and caring and teaching and far more likely to see men in transport engineering and so on what i'm interested in is how do we create new bases in the industries of the future because uh, you know our job is to keep pace with and anticipate those changes in the world of work so we've got a lot well, of work to do on that front i mean ju- just on that you know It it does feel that even though the trade union movement is very important in terms of politics, and it's very important particularly to politics on the left, it's a very important part of politics um, in the labour movement. But over the the last 40 years, Britain has largely become more Mm de-unionised, fewer people joining unions. There's an entire generation of people that don't really know what a union is. It feels like it's something that their grandpa might have been involved in. And of course, there's a lot of hostility um, towards uh, unions. So where does the trade union movement go forward now? Obviously, there is a bit of an opportunity, but how do you try and sort of like regenerate yourself for this for this moment? Yeah, well, I think we have to kind of keep a very sharp eye on the way that the world of work is changing and what's going to happen next. Um, You know, what I think uh, there's a pretty broad political consensus that we're going to need big investment in green industries. Uh, Clearly, tech industries are taking off too, uh, not always in a good way, because what I would see is tech giants like Amazon are monopolising multiple uh, areas now from uh, delivery to food. And of course, you know, we'll see what happens after COVID, but we have seen that big expansion of very often low-paid Uh, lowly valued work in the service sector so you've got but what I find exciting is in um, we've got a global campaign on Amazon for example Um, and you're seeing new alliances spring up between uh, very often uh, female fronted uh, high-tech jobs in coding and what's going on on the warehouse floor. Uh, Very often you've got a group of young, diverse women who are often quite politically aware in those high-tech jobs who feel really concerned about not just exploitation at work, but privacy rights and the, the politics of these new big tech giants. And they're also pretty disgusted at the way that workers down the chain are treated. And so we're just at early stages of beginning to build some, I think, fascinating alliances and finding the common causes uh, because being a well-paid coder doesn't mean that you're protected against sexual harassment at work, for example, or that you get equal pay. And just in terms of just picking up on the fact you know that you mentioned about this explosion of of the tech sector, and we have this explosion of the the gig economy where people are are people employees are they not employees? How does the trade union get into those? Because it feels like that is where the the world of work is is moving to. I mean, it's not particularly great for those workers in terms of their rights. Where does the unions, how do the unions get in with the, some of those companies which are quite intransigent to, to having union yeah. representation? 
which means we have to, you know, it really is a case of strength through numbers because, uh, you know, if we're going to convince them then and get a win recognition, then we really have got to sign people up. But I think we've got to find new ways to do it. And that's what we're experimenting with at the moment. So we have a, at our headquarters in Congress House, we've got what we've called a digital lab. And we're um, finding new ways, digital ways, uh, to create networks of workers within uh, companies that aren't yet recognising unions, but beginning to build people's confidence um, that by coming together, we can get a better deal. So, uh, you know, sometimes you have to fight fire with fire. And I think we were too slow, I'll be honest. We didn't invest enough, quickly enough. Uh, but digital is really important in a world where a lot of people from highly paid professionals to cleaners and care workers live and work through their smartphones. So we've got to be present there too and find those you know, those asks that bring people together um, and wins so that people build their confidence that even if the boss won't recognise you, as we've seen in lots of areas like McDonald's and um, uh, different restaurant chains, that we can still win even when the boss refuses to recognise. And that, that has built membership in those sectors. See, I think that's a really, I think that's a really interesting concept. And I think that is possibly the, the modern we of, I mean, it's, it's kind of teaching people about the importance of the collective behaviour and you don't have to fight everything on your own and there is strength in numbers. And I think for a lot of people who are not, you know, they're in a workplace which doesn't allow them to have a formal union, just some advice, some external advice on how to organise, how to, you know, conduct yourself properly, how to, you know, put a, how to put a policy proposal together. All of that, you know, is quite, this kind of quite practical advice you guys could be giving to people. And do you see yourselves providing that service, let's say, even to people who are freelancers is there a role for trade oh, yeah. unions with, I mean, with the we, growing freelancer we do, community we do that all the time already i mean obviously there are whole industries that have been you know again i would describe it as systematic casualization industries like construction and broadcasting uh, where everybody used to be uh, or most people used to be directly employed and now you know half of the workforce may be on some form of freelance self-employed or casual contract and I think we've got to roll that back and I think there's a public appetite for that as well because you know that balkanization of business fragmenting people into little bubbles uh, kept workers isolated from each other but I kind of sense there's a different public mood that people feel it's gone too far uh, when we've got so many uh, so-called self-employed delivery drivers really exposed during this virus, by the way, not entitled to really basic rights like sick pay and holiday, the national minimum wage, mm. the right to be accompanied. Yeah, this is basic stuff and every worker ought to have that right from day one. And it feels like this crisis has really brought that to life. I think beforehand people were a bit reluctant to hear it. They just weren't that interested in it. But now, I mean, 
these people, the, the delivery drivers, the people working in shops, the care workers, they have done the heavy lifting in, in society to keep the rest of us going. So it does feel like there's an, an opportunity. Yeah. Um, now, I just want to move on to the, the government. I mean, we have a Conservative government, even though they're in trouble, it does look like they're going to be there for the next four years. And you've obviously been talking to Rishi Sunak and the Treasury in terms of the, um, the, the furlough programme. Tell us about your your kind of relationship with the Treasury and the government at the moment and the, the furlough scheme and how much you were able to influence them and how much they listened. Yeah, I mean, look, our job is to try and uh, present a case and get a fair hearing, um, regardless of the colour of the government in power. You know, that's our job is to represent. Um you know, I think we had a big influence on uh, the design and introduction of a, the job retention scheme. Basically, it's a wage subsidy scheme. It's actually one of the best in Europe. It um, uh, protects um, at least 80% of people's pay. We've had it extended and so on. Uh, it's now supporting over 8 million workers. We also got support for self-employed workers. We were accused of forgetting them, but in fact, we went in hard uh, to battle for support for the self-employed. Not a perfect scheme by any stretch, but at least there's something there. And Although that I, is coming to an end quite soon, isn't it? There's quite a lot of anxiety about that with, free, with, with self-employed people. Uh, certainly, we're making the case that there should be consistency between... Um, the payrolls, if you like, for the self-employed and for um, PAYE. Um, and I think, I think maybe it was uh, an idea whose time had come because there's nothing new about this. It's just that we've never been able to achieve it in Britain before. And it's important not just to protect those workers, but because it gives those firms a chance of survival, but with obligations on them, that it can't just be take public money and run. They've got to protect jobs and that's that's important obviously to working people and hopefully it gives the economy a chance of recovering quicker than it would do if all those skills were lost but and were think- you um were you were you surprised that i mean i know you 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 it's important for our listeners as well a lot of you will know that trade unions are very political individually but the the trade union congress which france's heads up is is neutral you work with the government of the day but were you quite surprised that a conservative government and the conservative governments historically their ideology dictates that they're very much against a big state were you surprised at how big the scheme ended up being um i'll be honest yes and i would say um Again, he can speak for himself, but I suspect that the Chancellor was equally surprised to be working as closely with us. I mean, we we published a report on the Wednesday. He phoned me up on the Wednesday night. Thursday morning, we had our officials in the Treasury working, and the announcement in principle was made on the Friday that this was going to happen. So speed was more important than perfection for me because I knew that there were... Uh, companies that were due to announce uh, mass redundancies or even closures within the next 48 hours. So to get something up and running, if you like, there was the the shared cause and concern of if you know it, the economy could de- go down like a, a pack of cards. So we had to act fast. We had a good idea that our team uh, and unions had worked on together. 
uh, it was worked through, thought through, it was viable based on international lessons and, you know, real experience. And it worked. I'm not saying it's the answer, but it gave that breathing space as well as, you know, a lot of relief to... Yeah working families who didn't know whether they were going to have a job to Oh, and, and, and gave, I mean, even the, the newspaper that I write for, The Evening Standard, you know, we were having a really difficult time because all our advertising collapsed. So, you know, our furlough scheme has allowed the, the I mean, the paper to, to, to carry on yeah. and, you know, furlough staff. So what happens next, uh, Francis? We know the furlough scheme is going to be sort of probably wound up around October. What do you want to see the government do yeah. next? Well, we're into the next phase, and that means we need um, schemes ready to go now. I mean, like everybody else, I'm really worried about unemployment. I'm really worried in particular about youth unemployment. We've been around this block before. We know how destructive that can be to individual lives and a whole generation, uh, their prospects for the future. So it's really important that we learn from the past and have a good quality, decently paid, we're saying at least the real living wage, um, programme that allows people to develop their skills and be ready to move into um, job vacancies as the economy begins to recover. Uh, but I want to go a bit further because I think I think we can't just go back to business as usual. We, I know it's a you know bit of a cliche, but we do need to rebuild back better, and that means thinking hard about the kinds of industries that we want to see grow. And clearly, there has to be a big emphasis on green industries in the parts of the country that need the most um, and the kinds of jobs that we want you know we have covid has exposed this whole underbelly of a really rubbish treatment of millions of people and i i just don't think that's sustainable anymore so and what's more it's not good for the long-term health of the country absolutely we've on rubbish pay and poor conditions so you know let's let's be ambitious for ordinary working people and let's get kind of decent employment in place now that's that is a very laudable ambition and i think everybody will, will want to do that particularly your point about resilience resilience in in our economy but resilience in us as human beings as well but we do know there's going to be an almighty fight coming up in politics, not just between the Labour Party and the Conservative Party, but even within the Conservative Party about what should happen next in terms of the economy. Should there be some form of austerity or should we carry on splashing the cash and, and do some kind of stimulus? What, a, what do, you th- what do you think will happen and what, and what would you want to happen in the short term? Because, you know, this unemployment, we can see unemployment shooting up by the time we get to Christmas. And do you think you will, you as the trade union movement will have a, an ongoing relationship, a positive ongoing relationship with the Treasury in, in the future, in the aftermath of this, when the furlough scheme comes to an end? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that battle is coming. There are clearly sort of dinosaurs coming out of the forest who uh, think austerity worked well so well last time let's do it all over again um together with deregulation a bit of sniping at unions and of course tax cuts for corporations and the wealthy 
I think at the very least we can agree that uh, one of the reasons why this crisis has been so bad for Britain is because uh, we didn't have the systems in place, we hadn't invested in the resilience uh, on basic issues like uh, personal protection, gear and equipment, uh, testing, tracing. Uh, it's what we, we've got currently is a mishmash of privatised, marketized systems that frankly just haven't delivered. And that has literally cost us not just livelihoods, but lives. So there needs, you know, people need to wise up. I'm hopeful that the centre of gravity has shifted. And I genuinely want to see a new consensus around um, that centre of gravity, which says, look, to be a decent society, to have a strong economy, we have to invest in what I think any civilised society needs, which is including our public services. I understand that the TUC is is obviously you know politically neutral, but of course the Labour um, movement is intertwined with the trade union movement. You know the the genesis of the whole thing came from from the trade union movement and to and to support working people. What what do you make of um, the journey that the Labour Party has has been on, and what are your kind of hopes and observations about Keir Starmer, the new leader? Um, I feel really optimistic. I feel really optimistic. Uh, you know, we have um, in Keir, I think, somebody with um, clearly a big brain, uh, but also a warm heart. And I think we'll see more of that heart as uh, the weeks and months unfold. I think he's absolutely passionate. He's uh, What I love is he's not a factionalist. He's not a sectarian. He genuinely wants to bring people together. And what an amazing team already. I mean, Angela Rayner, um, you know, I think will be a formidable campaigner as uh, his deputy. And women like Annalise Dodds, I mean, she's a star. Uh, and so I'm kind of really optimistic that that sort of, you know, basic decency of labour will shine through and attract many, many more voters. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty focused on um, a lot of those blue-collar uh, towns where we saw the Tories win seats off Labour. I wonder how they are feeling now. Um, you know, I, I think in the end, uh, whoever is seen to really reflect the concerns of ordinary people, in fact, whatever part of the country they live in, uh, who stands up for those decent values about hard work and honesty and everybody sticking by the rules. <laughs> oh, what quaint, what quaint old-fashioned uh, values are these, Francis? Honestly. Um, and then just final, 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 final question to you. To any of our audience members who are listening and they're not in a union, just give them a very short sales pitch about why they should join a union. Well, any of us can try going it alone. But if you really want to win fairer pay, safer workplaces, more skills opportunities, equal pay and family friendly, then, you know, all the evidence is there. The best way to do that is to join together in a union. And... You'll make friends for life. 
as well. You know, we do look after each other. There are six million of us. And the more that join us, the stronger we'll be. Well, Francis O'Grady, thank you so much um, for joining us. Um, summing up, really, um, I mean, certainly my my experience of the trade union movement through through the Labour Party, my own experience was very um, simply. Somebody said to me, "You know, a trade union, the trade, a good trade union is 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 is, ha- is like having a strong friend at work." Yeah. And I think that's so important. And, and let's be honest, I think we could all do with that right now. And in terms of what's coming down the, the track, you know, solidarity and and you know, collective um, you know, behaviour and empathy and action is is clearly the way forward but thank you um francis for for joining us um and then oh actually there is one other thing so i keep going final question final question final (laughs) question um we have been asking our guests what um they've been surviving on in terms of getting them through lockdown like from a culture obviously gin that goes without saying um but what kind of like books films movies music what's been your escape routes I do love Killing Eve like everybody else. I love Killing Eve. I just, my favourite episode was when you've got these kind of, um, you know, clearly psychopathic killers uh, arguing amongst themselves about expenses claims and making sure (laughs) they're claiming. Um, But I love that one. I have been reading a lot. Um, Oh, I'm trying to think of different books. Ian McEwan was one. Anyway, and I love music. And I actually, I'm one of those people where in some ways um, it's been good for my health because I've been going out every day for a walk. My son has enjoyed it a bit too much, has had me doing um, press-ups. Have you done Joe Wicks? (laughs) Have I done what? Have you done Joe Wicks? Not literally, Francis. That's a whole different show. Um, that's like Bunker Late. Um, <laughs> Joe Wicks, The Exercise. No. Okay, we'll move on. No, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, exercise for me is a bit like technology. I'm very much a level one woman. <laughs> Uh, but with aspirations to move to level two. Oh, no, don't. You, I, I'm highly impressed. I have become so like I'm like a I'm like a walking obesity crisis for the NHS when I'm. A, I'm going to need a lockdown to get me out of lockdown to make me presentable. To I mean, I literally like pulled my back just putting my socks on the other I mean that is how bad things are so I, I, I do worry. I could very easily go to seed if I was allowed to, but um, work has sort of kept us um, well. It, Honest. Francis, your country needs you. You can't you can't you can't go feral like me because your country needs you. The workers of the country need you right now. But thank you so much, um Francis. And um thank you for, for, for listening. Now remember there's a full-length podcast every Wednesday and a bunker daily on Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursday and Friday. So don't uh, forget uh, to get your RDA of podcasts from us. It's very important. Um, And if you want to show your appreciation, please do leave us a positive review on Apple Podcast. Um, This is one from Nikki. She says, every bunker presenter is like a clever mate you love having a pint with. That's so kind. For me, it's a pint of wine with. That is... um, but that's very kind, um, Nikki. That was Nikki Bond. Um, and remember, if you want to get the show early and without adverts, search Patreon Bunker Podcast and sign up. Thank you for listening and see you soon.
Vodka Daily was presented by Aisha Hazarika and produced by Andrew Harrison. The assistant producer was Jacob Ashbold and audio production was by me, Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Vodka Daily is a Podmasters production. Thank you.